Welcome to another episode of Coder Conversations. We have special guest, William William Herman. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. How y'all doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, not bad, not bad. So yeah, can you tell us a little bit about your background? How did you get into programming? What were you doing before that? Well, before, uh, well, like I was telling you earlier, I, I kind of started off with like uh, ANSI escape characters as uh, programming, according to my teacher back in the day, which was just pretty much animating stuff. I, I think what I did is I took like a few characters and had a, a rocket like start at the bottom and just kind of like shoot up the screen. And that was kind of like that was kind of like my very first intro. I think it was like uh, 81, I, I guess, when I was in the eighth grade. And um, at that time, I was living in uh, a town called Sonoma, but uh, Sonoma, California. Yeah, but my uh, father worked over in uh, Marin County, a town called Novato, and uh, I had just come from Napa, which is like right next to Sonoma, out of uh, junior high school. And I'm not quite sure. My dad put me in the school over there. He thought maybe because it was like it, it was like a fancy rich school. I mean, everybody everybody in Novato was like rich, you know. So. They had computers and stuff back then. in 81, you know, computers were kind of like uh, pretty expensive. And uh, yeah, so they had, uh, I believe in the school, they had uh, Commodore 64s and Commodore uh, Pets. I know mm. for sure, the class that I had, I know that they had the Pets for sure. And uh, the library down the road, they had the Commodore 64. And boy, I think I just dated myself. <laughs> But uh, yeah, before before even hard drives, this was all floppy disk back in the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember, I remember the 5.25 inch floppies and was it three point? I can't remember the exact. Uh, I know it's like three inch and five inch. Yeah, I don't remember if these had uh, two or just one uh, five and a five and a quarter inch floppy. But uh, but then after that. Um, I went in, um, after I left that school, uh, the high school that I went to after that, they didn't have computers. This was in Sonoma. So, uh, fast forward, um, after high school, I joined the military and I was stationed over in Germany for three years. And, uh, I didn't do anything, anything with computers probably until 93. And of all things, I was a truck driver driving cross country and uh i was tired of spending all, all my money in the arcades like on the arcade games right mm -hmm. so i just started like uh, reading um i don't know if uh, have you ever heard of the magazine uh computer shopper mm -hmm. so it's like a really big thick book right and it i just started looking at like all the uh, reading all the stuff about all the hardware and stuff and then once I saved up a little bit of money as a truck driver, I went out and bought myself a 386 with one megabyte of RAM and a 40 megabyte hard drive. And <laughs> the rest is history after that. But uh, yeah, back then it was uh, DOS 5. And like I said, uh, Kyle Simpson and I have the same start, I think, or at least from what he was saying, because I started off my first real programming language was uh, uh, QBasic. And I messed around with that for a while until I 
stopped into a Barnes and Nobles and I was like, hey, what's this uh, what's this fancy uh, programming language called assembly language, right? Messed around with that for a couple of months and I started learning about uh, just like really low level uh, graphics card uh, programming. And I didn't really learn much before I, I ran into this book called uh, Tricks of the Game Programming Gurus by uh, Andre Lamoth. And then from there, the rest is history for C. I just started. And that guy, the first chapter I learned, it just everything just clicked, right? Because, I mean, from my uh, my past experience with uh, Quick Basic and, like, you know, the geometry of, like, the screen, you know, you have your X, Y or your X, Y coordinates and everything. And so, um, and then he, you know, I started reading about stuff like bit shifting and stuff like that for, and like, uh, man, what was that mode? There was a graphics mode called 13 H. It was either 13 or 10 H where you could just, you could, you could do the bit shifting and he get, he, he showed, he showed you the math and everything for bit manipulation to where you can just blast the whole screen, like several, I mean, we're talking like 30, 40 times a second. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then, and then I guess uh, about the time I I was reading about all this, I went ahead and got Windows 3.1 and that lasted about six months. And then Windows 95. So Windows 95, they had this uh, very short lived uh, API called, uh, Win, Win G, hmm. Win G. So I started reading about that, and then I, and then I guess around that time is when uh, the first uh, DirectX came out, and I started, I started doing all that, and uh, I don't know. I messed around with uh, with game programming for about seven years. I actually uh, picked up uh, Visual Basic six, and did a. Uh, kind of like a HUD using the uh, the assets from um, what was that SIP2 I think because they were just like they were just like playing uh, what were they PNG files or something I can't remember so you could just use the assets like for cursors and whatnot so I made like a HUD but no game and I guess around that time I just decided that uh, yeah game programming wasn't for me because I had actually run into people through an internet relay chat channel um and they started talking about it and like literally game programming especially nowadays game programming is like rocket science and that's that's i think that's around the time where i i was like no i want to i want to learn how i want to learn how to program but i i just want to play games i don't want to i don't want to learn how to make right yeah, I heard the industry was uh, pretty bad. It's it's a nonstop grind, you know, crunch all the time. I wouldn't want to work in the in the game industry. Well, back then, uh, have you ever heard of Microprose? Yeah, yeah. All the games that I liked back then were made by Microprose, and uh, from what I understand, uh, Micro uh, or at least for like XCOM, the original XCOM back mm-hmm. in the '90s, and uh, what was it, Masters of Orion, Masters of Orion Two? Yeah. That was a mom and pop. That was a husband wife team, and then they they uh, they had some friend that did the audio f- for them. Oh wow! And those were, I mean, 
to me, those games are still the best. I mean, if the graphics, if they could somehow take the game and update the graph, not not like this new the new games are fine, but the old the old school games they were just like step above, you know. Yeah, it, it, it seemed they seemed like they were more complicated, like more geared towards adults. Everything is like streamlined and simplified now. Like, right, XCOM, uh, Masters of Orion, like those, like you, the, the manuals usually was like 80, 90 pages. <laughs> yeah, that was like, uh, that was kind of like almost half the adventure back then was the reading the manual, right. I, I mean, actually, what I would do is I'd just jump into the game and try to figure out how to play the game. And then I'd go back and read a little part of the, the manual, like when I tried when I needed to figure something out. So, Terrence, did you uh, play any computer games back then, like XCOM or? Um, you know, I. Computer games. My first computer game was maybe Half-Life or uh, uh, Counter-Strike. I, I'm not like, I think my first game actually was like Super Mario or something on the PlayStation. So it was a console game, wasn't really PC based, but I can sympathize with the whole, like the first part of the journey is like reading the manual. So you, you get a new game as a kid, and you pop open the cart, you pop open the box and you get the manual and you're, you're on the way home and you're like, It'll be eight, nine o'clock at night. And you're using the street lights to like read the manual on the way home and stuff. And um, they, you don't have that wonder anymore. Like, not to sidetrack the, the topic, but it's, it's gaming has changed now, especially with like Steam mm-hmm. and everything, where you just, oh, I want this game, buy it. There's no getting in the car, going to the store, going to Toys R Us, going to the cashier and asking if they have a copy of whatever game, you know, taking out your your 50 bucks you made raking leaves to, <laughs> to, to, that you saved up for you know all happy year that was the real gofundme right yeah the, the, yeah, the, the gofundme was was this right here you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. oh lord no i think i don't remember when my what my first game was it was probably in the arcade somewhere it wasn't pac-man it was something like missile command or maybe battle zone Battle Zone was like the old uh, green and black screen uh, driving it. Uh, you had like Battle Zone and then you had like uh, Super Battle Zone or, or Super Tank. Battle Zone and Super Tank, eh, something like that, whatever. But man, that was like old school. It was like monochrome, green and black. That was it. <laughs> you, you remember uh, the, the shareware disc they used to have back in the day? Um it's kind of like how you how you would uh, be able to play like a bunch of different games. They kind of gave you a little demos of every game. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, what was that? PC Gamer used to do that back in the day, and then mm-hmm. uh, there was a magazine called Wired. I think they would mm-hmm. do that. That's actually how I got introduced to. Uh, I think it was probably BSD, like uh, what, they called it back then. They called it BSD X eighty six or something like that. That came out. Yeah, the shareware. <laughs> but uh but then i i think uh my first linux that i ever messed with uh back in the day was probably uh slackware mm, but yeah. then it, ever since i ran into debian I, i'm i'm diehard debian now all the way i mean i'll, I'll mess around with debian for like a desktop or uh ubuntu for a desktop but uh my heart is still with debian are you a, you're a linux user oh yeah 
Nice. Yeah. I've I messed around with Ubuntu for a while, and uh, and then I messed around with Slack. I mean, that's uh, Slackware. Is that what it's called? Right? Yeah, it's it's a it's a Linux distribution. Yeah, yeah. I messed around with like various Linux distributions for a while, uh, just because there was it was like. What are they they were good on memory and I didn't have a supercharged PC back then. And I was like, oh, I'll just I'll just run it off of a USB stick. It's amazing. And and you realize you have to install everything yourself manually and pseudo git and all the other stuff. And yeah. It's a lot of fun though. Back then, I like, oh. Kevin, I don't I don't know if you've used uh if you've used Linux before, but um mm -hmm. I don't know how, how far it's come, but it's it's really powerful. Like as far as I, at least ten years ago when I probably used it, probably even twenty now. It was uh, a toy. It was a yeah, way back then, and like uh, they have wine and stuff. You can emulate Windows inside of Linux and uh, yeah. Steam and everything, and it was like wow, it's, you have the best of both worlds. Yeah, it's crazy yeah. Stuff. Back then, back then, half of it. Uh, First of all, the user interface Ubuntu Ubuntu is like really. I mean, it's I wouldn't say it's like on on the same level as Windows as far as like a good user interface goes, but it's mm -hmm. it's pretty close. It, yeah. I remember Ubuntu eight. Oh my God, what a nightmare! Because like um, I was trying to use it. I remember I was trying to use it. Uh, this was back when uh, you guys know what. Uh, iSCSI is or ISESI. No. So it's kind of like uh, an Ethernet protocol for uh, like uh, hard drives, and uh, kind of like a, it's uh, you know what a SAN is, right? Like you have yeah, it's a storage attached network, a SAN. So it's kind of, kind of like that, but it's kind of like a direct. It it can be a direct connection, but. Uh, a lot of times what people will do is they'll they'll plug like this hard drive into like let's say like a uh a 4u rack that has like 16 hard drives in it and then they'll uh they'll run like an initiator and you can communicate over tcp ip or is it no actually i think it's uh layer two but uh so anyways over your like network cable so you can access this hard drive that's in the server in the other room like it's an actual drive on your on your system right and i'm sorry if i'm butchering butchering the explanation here i'm not like an expert with ice guzzy and all that but uh yeah so uh i was trying to do this with uh ubuntu back in the day and it was just like a train wreck <laughs> it wasn't working and uh like uh terrence was saying uh, back in the day 10 years ago or even like i think when i first started messing around with it it was it was a little more than a toy, at least to me. You had to have like specific hardware for it to run well, and then even then, it was glitchy. Yeah, that was the hard part. You had to be, you had to have everything like exactly how they recommended it, where you're just gonna have a, a hard time. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's just like plug and play. Ubuntu is actually a really good de uh, developer platform. I mean, it's it's really good. I mean, I I don't know if I I'm still kind of because of the old school days. I'm still a little bit leery as using it as a server, 
but in my eyes, being old school, anything that runs a, a, a GUI on it or a graphical user interface doesn't need to be running as, a, you know, if you're, if you're going to be using it as a server, it shouldn't have a graphical user interface on it because that's like another security risk right there, right? Because you have all this extra stuff running. And uh, I don't know. I don't really know the architecture between uh, like X Windows, which is like uh, the graphical, uh, it's like, the underlying shell, so to speak, for like uh, like Unity and all that stuff for like the graphical user interface on, mm -hmm. but like you can connect over a network to uh, you know to X Windows or X Eleven if you prefer, and uh, to me that just screams, yeah, come hack me, <laughs> you know so. But uh, yeah, I'm not. Uh, I played at being a a, a a a security expert back in the day, and uh, yeah, nowadays it's it's getting really complicated. I even started taking a course on it, but the people that I've taken the course through, they uh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't very good. So there's so many layers of abstraction now that you can't really ever tell what's going on because there's just so much stuff going on. You're right. But so after my, uh, my stint with game programming, um, a buddy of mine, in, uh, he, he was living in Nevada at the time, asked me to come out and uh, take care of his dogs uh, like one week out of the month. And he, uh, he was a radio station engineer. The guy I was telling you about earlier, he worked for Lockheed Martin back in the 80s um, as an electronics engineer. So he was uh, doing radio station work over in California, but he was living in Nevada and he needed somebody to look after his dogs. And uh, he had a, a computer shop that was kind of waning. He had been doing, uh, like in the past, he had done really good business. So I kind of took over that, ran, kind of uh, did my own computer thing, um, you know, fixing people's computers and whatnot. And, uh, found out that I can make pretty good money uh, removing viruses from people's computers. And that's when I started uh, started programming VB.net uh, uh, VB uh, to uh, clean the registry. And uh, th this was like Windows XP days. And uh, so to clean the registry and to help me kill the viruses that like when you would kill the process, you can't delete the file until you kill the process, right? But as soon as you'd kill the process, it would the files would read some of the files would rename themselves and then start a new process up, up under the under the uh, a different name. So, yeah, I had to write software to, to you know, because to, <laughs> to, there's no way you could do that fast enough. Right. And then you had uh, and what was that feature where you used to be able to um, it was like file attribute uh, attributes to where it, you could like lock the file. So it would like it would lock the file, make a copy of itself, then delete the old, uh, unlock the file, delete itself, and then start up the other process, you know, some of these viruses. Mm. And I had to write software to figure all of this out. And I did that for a while. And uh, me and my buddy, uh, we had always been, uh, so the Beagle Bone. This is the green. This came after the Beagle Bone Black. 
um, we had all, we had been talking about the Beagle the BeagleBone platform for a long time because we uh, we both had projects that uh, we had in mind to do with that, and I guess that was like around maybe 2012 when uh, whenever the BeagleBone Black came out, we were just like all in then, and uh, by that time uh, we were living in Arizona and we were living completely off grid. So he had an AC inverter that uh, had uh, looked like an RG45 connector on it, like a, a network uh, uh, plug on it, right? But what it was, it was like a, a CAN bus interface. Um, so we got this. Uh, so like the uh, like the Raspberry Pi, this has like headers on it to where you connect like uh, expansion boards on it. So we bought this uh, CAN bus adapter to put on here plugged it into the thing and found out that it was like spitting out a lot of information. And uh, so we spent like the better part of a year trying to reverse engineer that protocol. We got about 75% of the way done. Uh, well, I mean, I did the software and I mean, he did the hardware like a long time, uh, a long time ago. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so I, um, he was kind of, um, he was, he'd find a little bit of information give it to me. And then I, I, uh, put that together with what I knew and we slowly reverse engineered the protocol. And, uh, so this was for an AC inverter. So it was spitting out voltages, amperages, and a bunch of other uh, statistics. Right. So, um, that's, I ran into this, uh, <laughs> I'm smiling because I, <laughs> Uh, this is actually kind of a funny story. I ran into this uh, library called, uh, or not a library, but like, uh, well, I guess you could call it like a framework or whatever. Pretty much 20,000 lines of code to do like uh, um, web sockets in C. It was kind of like a framework or an API, whatever you, whatever the guys call it. It was called Mongoose. Um and it was like uh, really fast, but uh, it didn't play well with other processes. So like I had to write two halves of an application, one for a, uh, for uh, like decrypting, not, not decrypting, but like, uh, not sure of the word that I'm looking for here, but I take all the information out there, put it into the right format then serve it out over this web page, but because uh, the mongoose was not, uh, it was a single process uh, thing. You couldn't run a, uh, another process together. I had to write two separate applications that communicated uh, with one another uh, through uh, POSIX uh, IPC, right? Which is uh, pretty much, uh, what the heck is that called? trying to think of it. It's like basically a, a shared file in memory. And uh, I had to write like a binary uh, mechanism, a uh, locking mechanism, because uh, all this, all the like the API calls and everything in Linux, like they would call back and forth in, into and out of the kernel like 12 times. And I wasn't, it wasn't fast enough, nowhere near fast enough. So each call in and out of the kernel, um, 
it can take like anywhere from uh, I think it's like uh, 50 nanoseconds, but typically it's like 300 milliseconds, right? So we're talking like three times a second is what the information you can get from that. But I needed more than that. I needed more like uh, maybe a couple of hundred or whatever. But uh, the funny part to that story is I actually made the program so fast with my locking mechanism that I uh, was reading the information out of the, uh, the uh, inverter so fast spitting it out over a WebSock into, into Firefox that Firefox would uh, crash because it just literally flooded Firefox into non I mean, it, it was just like freeze and then crash. So anyways, I mean, to me, that's, that's funny, but <laughs> that was, that was the start of, uh, of my high performance uh, Linux programming days back then. Yeah, it seems like a uh, program is a lot more high level now. How did how did you make that transition into a more high level? Well, I kind of really haven't. <laughs> I mean, I, I know. Um, so keep in mind um, during this, uh, I've kind of jump uh, jumping around here. But uh, so when Docker came out, brand new Docker came out, I was right on there. It was it was another train wreck, right? When it first came out, it was another train wreck. Um, I think originally, uh, Solaris, uh, was, uh, the operating system of the time that actually came out with containers first. Um, and then it kind of like migrated over into, uh, Linux and, uh, but, um, so around that time, I mean, uh, when no, no JS first came out, I was like right there, right? It, it also wasn't ready. I mean, it was probably in better condition than when Docker first came out. But I guess maybe I just didn't maybe know how to use it or whatever, right? Uh, to to my advantage. But uh, eventually, after a couple of years, I actually wrote, I wrote like a, uh, so again, for this right here, it's got like a little, it's got like a little chip on here. Uh, for power management, and you can access that with uh, tools and uh, tools in Linux, and uh, you can write C applications to access that. So what I was doing is I was taking, uh, I was like writing helper, not functions, but hel helper programs, just very small, concise programs, and then I was accessing it through exec in uh, Node.js. So I wrote like a web interface. To where you can go in there and like you, you couldn't modify the bits or anything like that but it would read like the registers and everything in the power management uh ic which that's still on my github but it's i haven't updated that in like five or six years so but anyways um after that project um then the job working for a company using this hardware I'm still kind of under an NDA or I haven't gotten an okay to talk about their hardware and stuff, but uh, kind of landed in my lap because my buddy got a job doing the hardware for him. And then my buddy was like, Hey, you need a software developer. My, uh, my friend here, you know, he's been working with this platform for like about five, six years now. So, and that was actually my last and only gig as a software programmer. I mean, 
but you know, I had been doing it as a hobby for years and years and years already. Like, do you find it hard to find other jobs in software since, you know, you've been primarily working on the lower levels? I mean, you probably know this as well as I do. I mean, once you once you learn a programming language and you learn it good, it's pretty much the same thing. It, all you have to do is learn. It's like, say, like, not necessarily like learning German or Japanese or something like that, but it's like uh, it's. It's kind of like a spoken language. You just need to learn the syntax and everything. And then once that, I mean, you already have the general concepts in your head. Like, you know, I mean, your various algorithms, your data structures and whatnot. Right. So the only difference with like uh, low level programming really is like, I mean, I mean, actually, JavaScript has bit manipulation in it, too. I mean, you can do mm -hmm. bit shifting and uh, uh, bit masking and and, uh, and whatnot in uh, and or uh, bit manipulation in uh, JavaScript as well. So, right. but I mean, I'm not really sure. I mean, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, you can do the same thing in C sharp. Um, I want to say that you could probably do the same thing in Go, but I'm really not on that level with Go yet. You know, I'm just kind of like tinkering around with Go right now. But like definitely C sharp uh, or C plus plus, and then of course assembly as well. But I mean, outside of that, I'm not sure what else you could do. Uh, what other languages you can do uh, bit manipulation with? Yeah, I know a lot of the people that listen to the show. They're probably more higher level programmers. So like, what what is bit shifting, and like, what what can you do with it? Well. Uh, Bit shifting. <laughs> well, this is where my this is where my terminology is going to fail me, right? Since I'm mm -hmm. self-taught and whatnot. But basically, uh, every number when it comes down to uh, machine language is uh, ones and zeros, right? And I mean, do you guys know where the ones and zeros come from? So, like in a CPU, you have uh, a CPU is built out of transistors, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have on and off. On and off yeah. That's where that's where that comes from. Uh, what do they call? Um, well, it's binary either way. So basically, if you have a number that says like one 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 zero, and you shift to the left, you're going to shift that number to the left, and you're going to add a zero to, to the right. Mm -hmm. And depending on how long, it really depends on the system you're working with. But depending on how long that uh, that uh, well, like, let's say you're like right at 32 bits, you shift, you're going to lose your, you know, you're going to you lose that bit on the end there. And then, but you're going to gain a zero on the other side and then vice versa when you shift back to the right. So basically you're moving your, it's kind of like taking like a frame and sticking it here and just moving these numbers back and forth, except for once you shift the number off, it's gone. When, when you shift it back, that's going to be a zero there. It doesn't matter if it was a one or a zero before it's going to be a zero now so i mean i'm doing like a really bad <laughs> explanation of uh i think uh no i i don't think that was uh i don't think kyle actually talked talked about it kyle simpson mm -hmm. did he talk about uh bit shifting or uh, bit, bit, bit manipulation i know he's like a javascript developer right yeah 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 
but uh but um it's actually been like uh six years since i've done any proper coding so mm -hmm. i'm also a bit rusty so then you have bit masking and whatnot that's where you uh you set up you set up like a mask and you say yeah i want to check these bits and see what they are and then then you get the the uh back the numbers back from the mask right so again my terminology is failing me here because it's a little bit more complicated than that but mm. then then you have and or and or like so like um comparing two numbers and you do uh you take one number and then you and it with another number any mm. number that's like uh both ones on both of them is going to come back a one or a zero you know depending on whatever and or is going to be either a zero or a one in either number and it's going to come back a one and then but see that number that's coming back to you is binary then you have to convert it to like either hexadecimal or uh decimal mm -hmm. so or you know so yeah i know you've been programming for like a very long time programming back in the day was a lot different they didn't have all the courses all the books well they had the books but they didn't have the video <laughs> yeah you had to go to barnes and nobles yeah there wasn't <laughs> there was no google <laughs> You were lucky to have any kind of internet access back in the day, right? Yeah, exactly. So I have a question actually about that. How do you yeah. go about troubleshooting things? Do you pair program a lot? Did or did you pair program a lot, or is it all just up to you to figure out? Um. Well, some of it. Uh, there's going to be some problems for individual programmers, like so. I mean, you got to kind of uh, think about it. How do you troubleshoot a program, right? Right. It's going to be based on what you know. And if you don't know what's going on, then you're going to hit hit up Google, right? Yeah. And um, maybe you're just kind of stabbing at it. Hey, is this what the problem is? Or until you finally figure it out. And then that's something you add. But, uh, I mean, does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah, you just kind of poke at it, I guess. Things haven't really changed. <laughs> I mean, that's that's everybody in IT. Anybody who says that they don't use Google, they're full of it. Yeah. You know, I mean, nobody nobody can know everything. It's like, right. I mean, I, I feel like that I'm even failing explaining what I did for like years. And <laughs> but it's been six years since I've done it. But uh, yeah, I need to uh, I probably need to brush up on this stuff, but. Now, as far as like trying to get a job, I'm not really trying to get a job like right now. I mean, mm -hmm. to, for me, programming is more of like a hobby. But now mm -hmm. if like if somebody came to me with a job offer for something that I felt that I was ready for, then sure. You know, I mean, I've, I've come pretty close a couple of times, but then, you know, they always come up with something that I'm like uh, that I don't have any experience in. And that's mm -hmm. kind of where imposter syndrome, because I can figure it out. I mean, we can all figure it out, right? It's just like it's going to take a little bit of time. It was like if somebody wanted me to, to I've never, I've never uh, written a line of code in, uh, let's say, Pascal or ADA, ADA, but I could figure it out. It's going to take me a month or two maybe to get the syntax down and you know figure out all the different quirks and everything for whatever they may want done but i mean 
it all goes back to, you know, knowing your data structures or what's best used for certain situations, uh, uh, algorithms and stuff. And look, again, nobody knows everything. So. So like, what, 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 what are some of the things you do aside from code? <laughs> well, I was in the military. I've mm -hmm. driven an 18 wheeler uh, wheeler for a couple of years. I was an auto mm -hmm. mechanic for eight years. I did construction. I mean, I, I recently, I worked for a packing house and when um, we were working six days a week, but then when they rotated our schedule back to five days a week, I picked up woodworking as a hobby because I needed something to keep me busy. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, what do you, so. uh, what do you think you'll do when you retire from the dev life? Let's say you you retire from the dev life. What's your what's your next big adventure? Because it seems like you've done a lot already. Well, I don't know about my next adventure, but uh, I'm I've been uh, messing around with Go a lot. I'm I'm actually so I was talking with Kevin about this earlier. So when I first started into programming and stuff web development was looked down on. And the reason why web development was looked down on because there really wasn't a whole lot to web development with uh, web 1.0. Mm -hmm. You had a static web page. It was pretty much just HTML. And I mean, anybody can learn that in like, what, two or three hours, right? Mm -hmm. um, so then you had web 2.0 that came out. And uh, I don't know how long it took, but eventually web 2.0 started getting like really interesting because you know, you, you had stuff like web sockets mm -hmm. that where you could communicate between your browser and a server, a server in real time, mm -hmm. uh, which is what I did with uh, my first, well, my first big project with a beagle bone. And uh, I mean, nowadays you, you have, what is it called? GRPC. But then like, um, so I guess my answer to your question is that uh, I want to learn more about web development. I already know. I already know a good bit about web development, but uh, I could stand to learn more, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. some people are using like Python and like Flask or Django. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not really, I mean, I would learn it if I really had to Python, but I'm not really a big Python fan. I mean, it's okay, but it's like, it's a script, it's a script language. It's, mm. interp it's interpreted. So this goes back to, you know, me working like low level and stuff, everything that's not performant. Yeah. Then I'm not really that interested in it. You know, C, uh, Go, I mean, Go is slower than C, properly written C, but, uh, I mean, sometimes fast enough is just fast enough, right? That's an interesting take. So you say that you you choose the languages on the performance that you can get out of it, basically. Right. Because I mean, I still have an interest mm. in. I have an interest. I haven't really done any like SCADA programming. But are you guys yeah. familiar with SCADA? Mm. Uh, no. So it's like um, I really don't. I really don't know a whole lot about it myself. But basically, SCADA is like, uh, let's say the, the interface, it's the technology that uh, like for like industrial 
industrial uh, like PLCs, if you know what uh, programmable logic controllers. So like, say you have like your uh, your laptop like right in front of you, and you're want to like, and you work for like a uh, uh, a power company, and you want to see uh, some instrumentation, what's going on, like at the power plant, right? SCADA is what would be, I guess, is kind of what would be communicating the technology and, and the software and everything put together would be what would communicate with, uh, I forget what it, uh, what is, what is SCADA? Because I'm, I'm like, I'm like butchering the explanation of it right now. Yeah, I've never used it before. I've never used it before. Well, a lot of like, um, I actually learned about it when I was doing, uh, when I went to that uh, cybersecurity course. Yeah, what, what do you think about cybersecurity? Like what re really interests you about cybersecurity? I, I'm just interested in anything computer, mm. really. So supervisory control and data acquisition, that's what SCADA, uh, SCADA stands for. Mm. So they have like a lot of PLC and RTU programming apparently going on. And uh, PLC is, stands for Pro, uh, Programmable Logic Controller. And uh, RTU, I guess, would be like real-time unit, I guess. <laughs> but like, yeah, it's like a, a whole big... Uh, like a whole big uh, topic and uh, I, I would like to learn more about that but I mean do, the do reason like, oh go ahead go ahead oh, I was just I was trying to say you feel like a lot of coders now nowadays are missing out by not going into the lower level I I feel I feel like it yeah I mean I mean what do you think because you 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 know about like the going to Barnes and Nobles and like reading the books and learning like the real deal, right? Versus which uh, what's going on nowadays with like web programming and whatnot. Yeah, I kind of feel like um, the lower you get, the, the more you understand it, the more you know you're able to really solve problems because everything is an abstraction built on top of those lower level concepts. So exactly, know, and sometimes know. and sometimes that abstraction gets in your way, right? Exactly. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's hard to find like a good resource and all of that now because there's just so much, you know, so many resources out there that it's hard to just pick one and stick with it. Well, that book, that book that I mentioned earl earlier by Andrea Lamoth, you can get it off of Amazon now. You're gonna pay 138 bucks for it. Whoa. Yeah, it was selling for like thirty nine dollars back in the day, but What's you know, I mean. I, I don't really know. I mean, I don't really remember much after the first chapter chapter in that book, because I mean, the first chapter just like opened my eyes. Right. It just like it blew my mind. Was it called like game programming gems or um, tricks of the game uh, programming gurus? OK. Andre Lamoth. I remember like in uh, inside where the forward is, it had a picture of him standing next to supposedly his Ferrari, you know. <laughs> back in the day when game programmers uh, actually made a paycheck now okay. now they're now they're paying them like what five bucks an hour or something <laughs> wow yeah they, they get abused 
Who, who are some programmers you looked up to back in the day? Mostly people that I knew from like uh, over the internet. Mm. Um, so I'm not going to say his last name, but I knew this guy named Jason. Uh, last I heard, he was actually working as a contractor for a company for the FBI as a programmer. Um, there was another guy who was in a undisclosed bunker under a mountain somewhere in the United States, right? Uh, this guy was like a hardware uh, uh, electronics engineer and programming genius. Uh, hmm. I don't remember what his... Uh, we used to call him opossum or possum um, guy was super smart. Uh, another guy that hang out, hung around in the same channels, Rick. Um, he was actually a contractor for United States government doing like, uh, like tracked vehicle uh, simulation to where they could do like, you know, instead of uh, putting them in like the real deal, getting some training, they put them in the simulator. He mm. did some, did some coding over in Iraq and he had, he's like a few years older than me. So he had been, uh, he had been obviously been coding before, before that for a while, but this guy was also really smart. I would say he was all right with hardware, but not anything like the other guy. The other guy was like a genius. This guy was super smart. Uh, my buddy, Steve at the time, uh, I mean, he could, if like really push, do some programming, but, uh, he was more of a hardware engineer, but the reason why he could do that uh, programming is because he understood the hardware really well. Um, his hobby was actually uh, taking 1980s retro arcade boards and repairing them. He'd buy them off of eBay for like 10, 12 bucks or whatever, turn around, fix them. And then like he could have sold them for like uh, a couple hundred bucks each, but no, well, like the last time I saw him, he probably had like three or 400 arcade boards in his mm. place. Um, and then there was, uh, and well, his name was Sean. We called him Washu, which is, I guess, like a, a character from, uh, was it Dragon Ball Z or something? Uh, he was the guy who worked for Sun Micro. I mean, he was like really good. And then like his protege, a guy we called Dot. Um, not quite sure uh, where he was from or wh where, but he was also a really good programmer. But I, I learned a lot from all these guys. I would say I probably learned more from like uh, Possum than anybody because like whenever I got like the project where we were reverse engineering this protocol, I'd figure something out and I and I get stuck and I just like put that like on the forum and he come he just come straight back. Well, do this or try this and I try it and it would work. Right. So. Well, this, this was back in the uh, Merck days, right? Uh, MIRC. Uh, yeah. Well, but yeah, but the, the, I was actually talking with these guys on a forum. Uh, mm. uh, this forum was started from a different platform. It was, uh, the platform was called an MSP 430 and it, it didn't run an operating system. It had like 128 K memory and uh, like maybe 
256 or 512k uh, flash storage. And uh, that's where I, I learned a lot about all this stuff right there. Because, I mean, obviously, excuse me, obviously you had to uh, you had to keep your code very tight. You know, you couldn't just be like blasting in like, uh, let's just say, uh, an, an array of like 512, uh, you know, something because you just like you'd over. I mean, it wouldn't even run. It would just like it just crash because you're overwriting the memory in it. And yeah, so. But. Uh, yeah. But Rick and uh, Rick and Possum, they both I think his name was actually Kevin. Now that I think mm -hmm. about it, the other guys. Uh, they were they were showing me how to uh, we would take like the printf function for the the C library in Linux and they just tell me how uh, they'd show me like don't need this don't need this don't need this go make it to where it doesn't it doesn't use that stuff and then whenever I'd run into a problem right they just like they just kind of like guide me once in a while they would like might even do something for me, but that wasn't the point. The point was they wanted, I was trying to learn. Right. So these guys were kind of like my mentors trying to help me out. And, uh, I don't know. There was, there was days when I first started learning C and then I had like a, a C plus plus compiler. I thought I was writing C plus plus because I was compiling it with a C plus plus compiler. Right. But it was still C. I don't know if you guys know much of uh, the difference between C++ uh, and C, but C is, uh, by nature, is a procedural language. C++ is object-oriented. Mm -hmm. C++ has concept of what a string is. C doesn't. Mm. So C only knows what an array of characters is, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, just base nature. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. But the, the, I mean, you have like uh, APIs, like Linux APIs and whatnot that actually, you know, I think it's called string.h, where, yeah, okay, now it knows about strings, but on the lower level, it really doesn't. You know, it still only yeah. understands characters, whereas C++, no string. And, you know, you have C out versus printf, and it just, there's a whole lot of differences. Like, what made you, uh, uh, go ahead, Terry. I was going to ask, uh, since you're primarily a low-level, sorry, if you, if you have on here, um, since you're primarily a low-level developer, um, do you feel like that helps you become more memory efficient? Because when I'm writing code, especially on the front end, I don't really think about the memory of a browser or the computer that I'm that might be serving up my my code. Do you feel like you you take that into account? Yes and no, because like I was saying earlier, sometimes something is efficient or fast enough, right? Mm -hmm. So that's something like we're like, now keep in mind, I, I really do like uh, JavaScript a lot. Don't like Java, but I like JavaScript. Um, but like compared to, let's just compare even to like C Sharp. JavaScript is like very wasteful. But if it's going to run something fast enough, does it really matter? Mm. You know, I mean, if, if you only need like a, a set amount of performance for like uh, a certain operation, it, it doesn't really matter. 
I mean, I, I mean, trust me back in the day, I was like, super like, Oh, if it, if it's not C, it, it, it ain't, it ain't it. Right. I don't want to, I had to like, well, I, I think that probably came with experience, but I also had to turn the way my thinking worked also because I, every programming language is a tool, you know, and not everything is a nail. Right. So yeah. you don't need to, you don't always need to use a hammer when like a wrench or a screwdriver would work. So, or just, I, I don't know what <laughs> the proper analogy would be, but uh, so to answer your question, yes, but also no. Yeah, if it's good enough, you're fine with that. That's basically what, you're, what I'm getting. Is that if it's, if it's good enough, it doesn't have to be like emphasized, but if it gets the job done, then it gets the job done. So what's your, uh, what's your prime, uh, I don't even know, Terrence, what is your primary language? Uh, so I'm mostly working in JavaScript on the front end and the back end. Um, yeah, I'm mostly just working in JavaScript. I've, I've messed around with Go. I messed around with Java. Um, didn't really get a con like the concepts didn't really stick for me. And I can probably attribute that to me just not finding a mentor, uh, that, um, that could like show me or teach me, um, those, those languages. Um, and for me, JavaScript, like learning JavaScript was a lot easier because I could see the result, whether it was in a console or whether it was in like on the browser, I could see my code doing something visually, uh, you know, working in Python or, or go, I couldn't, at least I didn't know how to directly see the result of my code, like in a browser. So, uh, yeah. Well, directly you don't. You would it, like a, a Python or Go would be like a backend language, right? Yeah. That would like where you might expose an API, but then you're still going to be communicating with that API with JavaScript or right. whatever. And I actually struggled, with, believe it or not, I actually struggled with that that idea myself because I'm kind of like, well, how does this really work? But then I would, and then you know, I started learning about APIs and all this stuff, and I was like, oh, okay, because see, that's another thing. API and low-level programming is something completely different. It has mm. nothing that has nothing to do is application programming interface. It, it's the same meaning, but it doesn't mean the same. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I guess you could argue either way about that, but because <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of the same thing. But it's like one is like uh, for. Um, do you? Um, do you have like a preferred learning platform like Codecademy or Udacity or anything like uh, that? So I, I, wow, Codecademy. I started on them way back when. I went through their Python course and stuff when I was first learning in school. And, uh, but I prefer like Udemy, like the, like purchasing courses, courses on Udemy when they go on sale. Yeah. Every once in a while, I'll pick up a course for like 10, 15, 20 bucks at the most, depending on who it is. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of like, I think I have uh, some Go courses. I forget the guy's name. It's, I think it's with T. Travis, something. Yeah, I have I have one from him also. Um, Micro, the microservices or the the Go and React one. Uh, I think it was just Go, just Go in general, like okay. understanding the, the Go language in general, because uh, it was like really popular, and I think I think I think it, it still is, but I don't think I'll switch from JavaScript anytime soon. Um, Unless I just get bored of it, 
Um, how long how long have you been coding, Terrence? Uh, on like professionally, three or four years. Uh, like at like yeah, as a like you know, as a career, but on and off since like two thousand and eight. But it's all it's all been like front end stuff. Um, WordPress, uh, basic responsive websites using HTML, CSS, JavaScript well, here and there. Where I'm going with this is that I think that maybe since like JavaScript seems to be like your main language, learn that really well. Yeah. Learn that like really well. Everything that, because for most things, I mean, especially where like web is uh, concerned, you don't necessarily have to change programming. I mean, you you probably know this better than I, you can write um, back end stuff with JavaScript. JavaScript. Yeah. Front end yeah. stuff with JavaScript. I mean, React requires no JS to be running, right? Mm -hmm. No JS and Express. Well, you got your API right there. So, yeah. But yeah, uh, you can do so much with JavaScript now. Robotics, uh, even I think Excel, they let you use JavaScript now. Mm, that's crazy. I didn't know about that. But like, um, You're just gonna have to find like something that resonates with you as far as like coursework. Uh, maybe maybe stay away from the videos for a while and get a good book, and just read. Yeah, and, and you got to play around. You know, you can't just like, you know, you actually have to write code and then try <laughs> try try to figure. It. Well, you probably know this already, but I, I'm just saying you just. That's why I say that like maybe stick with JavaScript and understand like the standard the ECMA standard yeah. and everything really well, why certain things happen. I think Kyle was talking about that in the video yeah. that I was watching from him. Um, because I mean, like six, seven years ago, I was actually learning all this stuff that he was talking about, but I've long since forgotten about all that stuff. I need to get, I feel like I need to get back into it, you know, but <laughs> Yeah, when did the uh, web really start getting interesting for you? Because I know you was talking about all the way back when, you know, it was like even before CSS. I think probably somewhere around the time uh, Node.js came out because then I realized, hey, you could actually do something with this this stuff, you know. And uh, maybe a little bit before that because I remember writing like a uh, uh, an HTML and JavaScript thing with jQuery. It was kind of like an alarm clock, but an alarm clock that played a song that that you you wanted to listen. I was trying to, I was going to add like a playlist to it, but then you know, dip, you know, you know how projects work, like personal projects. Sometimes they get finished, sometimes they don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are you working on any anything interesting these days? Working on a paycheck. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm actually uh i'm not working of uh i'm not working in the tech field right now but uh yeah i mean here and there uh i have like a lots of interest in like uh, i think i'm kind of like floating back and forth because i'm trying to figure out where my place is in the modern world right mm -hmm. current modern modern world and uh i may have landed with go as like a back end. So the project that I did professionally as a contract, uh, the front end developer, he was using Go hmm. to, uh, to uh, I guess, 
it was really a convoluted system. I was, I was like, I was just thinking to myself, wow, why are we doing all this? We were actually, they were actually using uh, Apple servers. I was like, really Apple servers, a server running a GUI, but then you want to, you know, you want it to run on like Apple hardware too, <laughs> you know? but uh, they had their reasons. So yeah, he was using go. And then I'm not sure what other technologies, uh, they had because I was actually doing uh, communicating with the hardware and then I was exposing it uh, to like the front end through uh, have you heard of uh, MQTT? Mm-hmm. It's a it's like a messaging uh, it's a messaging framework, I guess you would say. Uh, it's like RabbitMQ or something like that. Or... Well, I, I believe uh, so. RabbitMQ isn't, uh, as far as I'm aware, isn't exactly a specific protocol. It's like an encapsulation of several protocols, and I think mm-hmm. MQTT is a part of uh, RabbitMQ. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it's like uh, it's a pub sub, a pub sub like a framework slash protocol or something. It's really is simple. Is it like Kafka? Um. Well, Kafka is again like RabbitMQ, I believe. It, mm. that's like Apache's version of like uh rabbit MQ from my understanding. Um, I did a little bit of, little bit of looking into it, but not a whole lot. So. Well, delving a little bit off of technology, you kind of mentioned that, uh, you were living off grid for a while. Like, what was that like? So in the beginning, it was rough. <laughs> it having a hard time even keeping the computers running no ac in the whole place but we were living like uh in arizona at six thousand, like 63 6400 feet so it was pretty it was pretty moderate all year round you know i think maybe it hit like 101 102 maybe once or twice a year and uh but it was um so we were using like uh, deep cycle batteries like 12 deep cycle batteries which were not really for like off-grid but then towards the end, we got some proper uh, off-grid batteries, and then we had like 35, 40 kilowatts worth of uh, panels just sucking all that power in, and it was like it was like living the dream. Then <laughs> I, I think the power company they wanted like fifty thousand dollars, right? Fifty thousand dollars to run power to the place out there because we're talking we were like two miles off the uh, the nearest main road which was a dirt road when we first moved out there and uh so he was he was saying why would i pay fifty thousand dollars when i can just spend fifty thousand dollars on solar equipment right and we started off he got some free panels like from probably from the 80s they they were actually labeled arco if you remember that company you remember that the gas company arco yeah so they had the like the it was like a diamond with that was like segregated into into four little triangles that was like their <laughs> for, some, for some reason that's not uh, ringing a bell for me uh it was that more like a west coast company yeah it, it might be a west coast company it, it might have been okay you originally from where you stand right now yeah, I've been here and uh, well, I was born in South Korea then moved to Louisiana then moved to Texas around eight when I was eight. And I've been here like ever since. So, yeah, I'm pretty much a Texan. 
Yeah, I lived in Mesquite for about a year and a half when I was driving a truck. I drove for Stevens Transport back in the 90s. Well, what would you think about it? It was all right because back then uh, – so what game was it, the game that I was playing? Like you could go like right there in Mesquite and they had like all those boutique shops with like all the games in there. And I think uh, Comp USA was down there back in the day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so you could just like uh, – Man, what was it? Uh, Doom. Okay, Ooh. Doom. Yeah. It was. I think the original Doom was actually made like there, in that area there. And but I remember going in there and getting uh, like uh, the original uh, Lucas Darts. Uh, it wasn't X Wing versus Tie Fighter, but it, you had like X Wing, and then you had mm. Tie Fighter, the separate games. So I remember getting those there as well, and then XCOM and. All that stuff back in the day, but uh, I don't know. Mesquite is like a suburb of Dallas, and it was pretty crazy the last time I was there. Oh yeah, man. there's all kinds of stuff happening out here now. <laughs> yeah, I got one heck of a story. I just don't know if you want to air that air that story about uh, two people riding in a in a station wagon out there. One in the back who was armed and the one driving up front, and they were just tearing up everybody out there with an AK. Oh, oh. gosh. This was like 94, I guess. Yeah, it can get pretty wow. wild. <laughs> What's that? Oh, it can get pretty wild out here. Yeah. But, I mean, it wasn't too bad. I, I'm, I'm, I was born and raised in California, though, so that's kind of what I'm used to. Uh, I, live, I lived in no, uh, uh, up uh, North Bay Area by San Francisco, mm -hmm. close to Silicon Valley. Uh, but I lived in Louisiana for a little while, too. I lived in, I lived in Hammond for about nine months. So what do you think about that? Well, I mean, Hammond, you have like two major com uh, colleges right there. I think LSU was right there. And then there was like another college. So mm. it, was, it was pretty golden, I think. Yeah, you know, that was back in the day when I was in my 20s. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a uh, party town. Oh yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. So, um, I'm, I'm curious about you a little bit, uh, Kevin, what is, what is your primary, uh, program programming language? What do you, what language do you prefer? Uh, right now, it's pretty much TypeScript. Uh, back in the day, like in the 90s, when I was first experimenting, I was using C. But, uh, you know, the resources really wasn't that good back then. Everything was super low level. You know, you have to compile a code. It took yeah. forever. Right. So, you know, like you have to be super smart to get a job as a programmer back then. So it was kind of intimidating for me. So I didn't really like get back into it uh seriously like as a profession until like javascript came out that's when uh i was working at a hotel at the marriott working overnight and you know you with javascript you don't really have to install anything on the computer so that's kind of like how i was able to experiment and teach myself programming over there and that and uh you know we had to do some stuff in excel so i used like vba to uh automate the spreadsheets over there and you know, when, you know, something that would take you about 
four hours by hand, uh, you, you create a script and it does in like 10 minutes. It's like, okay, wow, this is powerful. So that really is like what pushed me to look deeper into programming again. And, uh, I've been in the industry about six and a half years. That's about how, but, but that's about how long I've been out of the industry. Did you get uh, burnt out or is you just want to do something? I, I did. I did. But see, so I did this contract for these people for a year. Then my, uh, I got everything done. The contract ended. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do at the time, but then like um, I was talking with my best friend uh, from high school that I hadn't talked to probably in like, I don't know, a while. And he had been living on Maui for like at the time, I guess like 24, 23 years, somewhere around there. And he was like, Hey, come out, come out here and stay with me for a while. So I, I went, went there. I ended up getting a job. I ended up living on Maui for like two years. And like there, you talk about like the Marriott. I mean, Maui is nothing but hospitality. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, there was like one, one job that I kept on seeing in the paper once in a while working for the gas company out there, IT job. And it had these crazy qualifications and they were paying like 15 bucks an hour. I was like, no, no way. There's just a, that's jobs for somebody else. Right. So, um, I ended up going out there and actually I was, uh, I, my first job out there was as a cook. I was making 22 bucks an hour as, or, uh, as a dishwasher. And then, uh, I picked up a second job and, uh, started working as a, uh, a prep cook and a line cook in another restaurant, like a three-star. The first one was a five-star. And then uh, after that, I got uh, like the sister company of the first, a uh, sister company of the first job that I had. Um, I started working as a prep cook there. And uh, it was great for two years, but I'm glad I'm no longer there. <laughs> they, that, that got, that got all, especially when uh, COVID came out, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah, that 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 got old in a hurry because I mean you just got people from the whole world just coming like right there, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the food industry is tough. Period. Uh, I used to work at McDonald's, Subways, and uh, that's that pretty much what uh, gives me the motivation to keep pushing. I don't ever want to go back there. Well, I'm happy. I'm 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 not working like a a big fancy job or anything right now, but I'm perfectly happy where I where I'm at just tinkering around with my code, you know, whenever I get the chance. And then maybe, I mean, I, I kind of feel like uh, for like a DevOps job, I probably need to understand uh, AWS or uh, maybe Google Cloud a little bit better. I mean, I have like a light sail server running right now, but uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's not understanding AWS. That's just like understanding mostly that's, my understanding of Linux, you know, because you have to SSH in and then you have to just do a few things to set up like a WordPress server. Right. And, uh, I kind of wanted to do like, uh, I got this course, I think it was actually on Udemy. I got this course to actually do, uh, a web server on AWS in go, but I was like, no, do I, do I really want to spend all that time doing that? when I could just be learning something else that I need want to be learning. And this is when I was kind of going back between 
the company that I work at now, they, they're really good. They have a really good work culture. They don't pay the best, but the work culture they have is freaking awesome. And they will send you to, so this course I, they, they paid for, hmm. I ended up dropping out of it because, uh, I just didn't have any interest in it, but also you, you, you know what a nibble is, right? You have, a, mm. you, have, you have a bite and a bite is like half uh, is uh, or a nibble is like half a bite. It's four mm. bits, right? So I answered this question. I answered it right, except for I separated the nibbles, put a space in between them. They marked that answer as wrong. And I'm like, really? Then they tried. They tried telling me like uh, a certain port on the system was for Windows remote uh, for Windows remote. Right. When, it, when in fact, that port was a, a Windows RPC port, which has nothing to do with the remote desktop. Mm. You know, I mean, maybe remote desktop does use that port occasionally to communicate or initially communicate or something, but I, I can't remember what the port is, I think, for... Uh, uh, anyways, I, I just... Once, uh, once I started going through the course and they started marking these answers that I knew that were right, wrong, I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm done with you guys. You know, so. Yeah, the tech industry is just kind of a grind, man. I'm, I try to fight, you know, burnout every day. You know, that's pretty much why one of the main reasons uh, I'm doing this podcast as well is kind of a nice diversion from right. being stuck in the books all day. And also you get to like, um, you know, talk with other people and just see uh, see how they deal in with life as like a developer mm -hmm. or as like, as like an IT person or something. Because like you said, yeah, I did. I did burn out, but now I'm starting to get that itch again. Right. Yeah. I mean, no, when no. I was when I was no, living. No. On, yeah. Sorry. When I was living on Maui, I didn't care. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was living the life. Right. I mean, I, I actually took up photography when I was living there. So I'd be like a dishwasher or a cook for somebody else for like seven, eight hours a day. But then at the, uh, at the, uh, when my day started, I'd be like in the water with like a, an enclosure around one of my cameras, or I'd be out taking pictures of like all the beautiful flowers and whatnot, or just like, like, you know, had a couple of, couple of friends over there, a, a really close friend of mine that I, I'd be down at the beach park with like her daughter and just, you know, documenting documenting her daughter's childhood you know giving her pictures left and right or had this one guy walk up to me on the beach park and he's like i mean i have like two cameras would be in a bunch of lenses he's like you a photographer <laughs> and i'm just kind of like yeah I'm a, I'm a photographer right and he's like hey can can you take my picture and i'm like sure why not and he's like well give me a minute and i'll come right back well this guy comes back comes back with a torch and he starts breathing fire mm. and i'm like whoa okay yes <laughs> so i got pictures of this guy you know just you know fire breather just blowing uh blowing flames up into the sky at, at nighttime it was really cool um and uh friend of mine uh had a younger uh female friend of mine who was like i uh, met her she was working at a restaurant where i had another friend gorgeous girl from uh where was she from siberia hmm. and uh took some you know did some modeling shots of her um took a picture like another friend that i worked with took a picture uh, of his wedding 
got some awesome pictures of their wedding. I mean, I've been in the ocean taking picture of people scuba diving with fish and stuff. It, it was great. But then, like I said, you know, after two years, it just, my closest friend over there, she moved to like Miami for like a month and I just wasn't feeling it anymore. Right. Especially with COVID. So. Yeah, but, so you got you got to uh, do different stuff just to, to stay interested in life, man. Uh, like, you know, if I ever retire from coding, I, I, I was thinking I, I might become like a barbecue pit master. You know? <laughs> I think I'm going to become an air fryer master. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, I love the air fryer. <laughs> that's that's pretty awesome. You know, I mean, I learned how to cook with some of the best. I learned how to, uh, so a lot of the population on Maui is Latino. Mm. So I learned how to cook really good, uh, traditional, uh, Latino food, like, you know, Mexican food. Nice. Um, and also when, uh, that was at the three star, but at the five star, they had like their own little menu. I learned so much stuff there when it comes to cooking. So like, it took me a while to get the air fryer because I was like, nah, but I got like the Instapot too. And I was like, damn, oh, I can yeah. make. I can make my own beans now in it, in it like just like that, right? Just plug yeah. the thing in, hit the buttons yeah. on it, throw some beans and some water in there, and you're done. So, <laughs> pressure cookers kind of freaked me out. I was just think they're gonna explode or something. <laughs> well, the cool thing about this, uh, uh, about the Instapot that I have is, uh, you know what sous vide is? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can you can cook sous vide in here, and I love to make a good uh, a pork bulgogi, and I sous vide mm -hmm. it. So nice. I get like a marinade. I put it in like a double plastic bag and I just put it in there for like four hours at like 160 and it comes out awesome. So oh, did you do a lot of uh, cooking like that, Terrence? Like the, the low and slow? Oh, yeah. Slow cookers are my thing, man. Like <laughs> I think when I was living with my my dad a long time ago, I got I had this like tiny little slow cooker and I'd, I'd go to school and I'd come back home. And as I'm like walking up the driveway, I could smell the the food that I was making or whatever. Like if I made a roast, I could smell roast being cooked like from the street when I parked. Like, and it just it's amazing. It's amazing. It changes the game, especially like I got an air fryer, and that that it does everything. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing what uh technology has done today for cooking, especially. I want to learn how to cook fish in the air fryer. And from what I see, it doesn't seem to be all that difficult. But like you know, it or yeah, so like what I saw um, is you take a lemon, right, and you, you cut thin slices, and you put that like on the on the grate or the mm -hmm. the bat on the bottom of the basket. Then you lay the fish on top. So then you mm -hmm. get lemon infused into your fish, and mm -hmm. you keep the fish from sticking to the the bottom of the basket. Oh wow, I said, never right. thought about that. And I then you. Then you could season it, season it however you want, time or you know what, whatever you want to put on your fish. Yeah. But uh, that's cool. I have to try that. I actually, um, I actually bought it uh, from Walmart today. I actually bought a air, uh, air fryer cookbook, and everything in there looks really good. So. Hmm. That's a smart <laughs> idea. I, I, I need to, uh, I'm looking to get in one of those. Yeah, I love cooking, man. Uh, if I wasn't into coding and you know cooking paid really well, I'd probably <laughs> be in that industry. So I was uh, I was working in like a really famous 
you guys might not have heard of it, but it's, it's famous like around Hawaii, a place called Merriman's. Excellent food. I mean, top notch, right? Um, let's just say that they're sous chefs, which is like bottom management in a restaurant. Uh, entry level, entry level JavaScript program are going to make more than somebody who has like 10, 12 years experience in the kitchen. Yeah, that's crazy, man. <laughs> 10, 15, 20,000 more a, a year, you know, so. That, that industry is tough, man. Uh, demanding customers, you got to move nonstop. Yeah. yeah. I can't imagine the stress. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I don't know. Um, I'm thinking, like, right now, I'm thinking go, Node.js, and React. I really like React. Um, and what motivates me about React is I – excuse me. For a long – so you can write a graphical user interface in C, right? Mm -hmm. How much work does that take? Yeah, it's a ton of work. How easy is it to an ex exec a C executable in JavaScript and then take the information you get from that executable in, in JavaScript and put it on a web page? Mm. Pretty pretty easy, right? Yeah. I mean, figuratively speaking. So I, 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 I kind of look at like JavaScript as kind of like with Node.js as kind of like the... Uh, graphical user interface uh, to complement like uh, low level programs because displaying. So if I'm like reading like a, uh, let's say like a um, I2C, ad uh, I2C adapter, whatever it might be, it could be like, uh, like maybe a, G a GPIO expander, which a GPIO is a general purpose input output pin. It can be either as an input or an output, right? Mm. So if I want to like uh, read the the uh, so the registers off of that expander and then display that information, I could do that very easily through JavaScript and React. Um, I was actually doing this before React was even out, you know. So I, I what was I? I think I was using Express somehow. And that's not really what Express is really used for much anymore, is it? I mean, isn't Express like mostly used for like, uh, like, the, like, like the API backend sort of stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Express yeah. is the kind of like a layer over Node.js to do the server side stuff. Right. So, but 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 anyways, uh, yeah. With Re I mean, I really. I think it's uh, comparatively speaking to like a like a really small C program. There's a lot of overhead there for like React, but it also does the job well enough. And it's like I mean to me, it's just like really simple to take that information from this little tiny C program and display it to the world. You know, how, whoever, what, however you want to display that information so much mm -hmm. easier much easier than like getting into like uh 
bit banging the um, memory addresses for video in Linux, right? Mm, yeah. Yeah, I think JavaScript is really good if you just want to actually do something like uh, handle a problem, display something like you're not super concerned about performance. You just want to make something that, you know, maybe the world can see. Right. But that's why I like uh, WebSockets now. From what I understand, gRPC is kind of the same thing, but like newer, improved, better somehow. I, I, mm. I you know, I, I've read a bit about it, but I just I don't really understand it as well as I did uh, WebSockets back in the day. But WebSockets, you can just like blast. It's like a text messaging system, right? You can just you can just like hook that. Uh, what is it called? like real-time communication unidirectional right it, yeah but it's like it's like a, a texting service or something like mm. you, you get like a, send like a certain keyword over it, it hooks that and then you get a call back in javascript right oh, okay uh, you know uh, what event event listeners there you go event event keyword well, or whatever mm -hmm, yeah but yeah so you just say like okay so on data do this with the data right yeah you, and you know exactly how it's uh how it's coming through then you just format it however you want it to format it and you got a web browser right there all you have to do is maybe put a little bit of jquery on it if that's what you want to use what, what is everybody using nowadays nowadays uh, tailwind angular oh yeah tailwind for css yeah 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 so yeah i don't know have I bored you guys yet? <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting hearing the, you know, uh, I think talking to you, Carl Simpson, and a couple of other guests on here, like seeing how quickly, like, uh, languages have evolved, like over time. You know, you, you mentioned like CompUSA and and uh, C and rather like low-level languages and and. Uh, and how you're, you know, you move on to Go, and you're kind of out of the game now. It's, it's, it's really interesting to see that perspective. I never thought of what I would do, like going off, you know, what I would do if I was to retire, you know, or like leave coding. Um, yeah, so it's, it's interesting, I don't know. It's always interesting seeing, uh, you know, nobody's journey is the same. So it's, it's interesting to see how people approach life. Like, uh, you know, I was making like $11 an hour until I was like 29 years old working at the hotel. And I was a dangerous job. Like I was the only employee at the hotel, like doing overnights 11 uh, p.m. to 7 a.m. in the morning. So mm. you can kind of imagine what went <laughs> I did that, too. I was a I um I was initially well no actually uh I was the manager of a comfort inn in Montgomery Alabama. Oh man! Right, right in the middle of the hood. I lived in <laughs> I lived in the hood for like ten years. Oh. In Montgomery, Alabama. Supposedly they've cleaned it up nowadays, but. Uh, oh, yeah. Alabama's really bad. Uh, you know, like it's 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 really the hood. It's you know a lot of people don't think of it because it's oh it's Alabama, but. As this was pretty bad out there. I would say it's about half as bad as Oakland. Uh -huh. So th there was a, a shooting. Uh, there was a, a killing related to a shooting like every other night. 
Oh, no. Back in back in the day, it made me glad that I had an all steel bathtub in my bathroom. Oh man! <laughs> but uh, nobody, wow. no, nobody, nobody really messed with me there, though. I mean, I worked in the hood, I lived in the hood, and uh, shit. Or sorry, <laughs> 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 all, my, all my all my friends were from the hood back in the day, so. Yeah, it makes you it makes you really appreciate life once you get out. It's kind of like, you know, I almost had like PTSD from working at the hotel. It's like, wow. Yeah, but some of the best friends that I had were like from back in uh, back in the day, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 You you meet great people, but great you know, people. people that are okay, you know, they're just trying to get by. Yeah. 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 I'm, I was, I remember working for this place called Remanufacturing, manufacturing, uh, working on a manufacturing line, uh, building water heaters. Also worked mm. at Coca-Cola Coca down the road alongside the prisoners. They are uh, from yeah. the prison. These guys would come out at, like on a work for a little work, like their six, seven hours to work off their, uh, the payment for their sentence while they were in prison. And mm. then they, they'd give them like 20 bucks a week or whatever they'd give them. And then you know they go back or whatever, and I never really, I never really felt like uh, I was like ever in really in any danger, you know, working around these guys. Obviously, if they're going to let them out, they're like you know good behavior. Mm -hmm. They're making a little bit of you know most of that money is going to paying for their 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 prison term, but they get to keep a little bit of that money, right? So it's kind, of, it's kind of messed up uh, in, in a way. It's almost like slavery in some of these prisons, like uh, in certain certain of these Texas prisons. I heard like they still like pick cotton. They work the fields. What? That sounds yeah. like an, that, uh, seriously, that sounds like an Alabama thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Back in the day. Oh, my God. I, I honestly, though, I'm really glad that I don't live there anymore. I mean, I do miss. I don't know. That's that's a uh, that's a different discussion for like a different a different uh, <laughs> a, di a different thing, you know. But uh, yeah, I'm living in Oklahoma now, and it's a it's a bit different here. Cost of living is really good here. I live in the Panhandle, by the way. Okay, yeah, Oklahoma is actually uh, beautiful. Like uh, you know, Dallas really isn't too far from Oklahoma. Like two and a half, three hours. Right. Like southern Oklahoma is like. It's not like the tumbleweeds and all that. It's kind of like pine trees, uh, <laughs> lakes, you know. It's, I saw it's... plenty of that living in Arizona. <laughs> we used to have to go up because uh, my buddy had 40 acres, the, the place I was talking about earlier, and we actually fenced off the whole thing with a uh, high tensile wire to keep the – so they, they have what they call free range there where cows could come onto your property for mm. like the ranchers and just like do whatever. And there's – I mean, mm. that, that's legal there. So we, in order to keep the cows off, we had to put like a five wire high tensile strand and we'd have to go out there like two or three times a year. I mean, cause the tumbleweeds are just like piled up, like, like five foot thick and, you know, just starting to blow off into the, into the property out there. We'd have to go out there with a torch and just burn that stuff. Oh, wow. And, and keep in mind, this is like high plains or high desert, right? So it's like a lot of sand and stuff and not a whole lot of whole lot of grass or trees or everything but a lot of tumbleweeds i know uh, oklahoma's in the tornado alley like have you uh ever gotten close to a tornado 
I was uh, when I was working at Ream Manufacturing, we had one rip off the, the top of the building off while while I was working. I, all I remember is running like heck trying to get out to someplace safe, and remember and remember seeing like we had these spindles of like the tops, and uh, it was like for the 120 gallon, uh, and that spindle probably weighed about 100 pounds. I remember seeing that sucker fly like this in front of me as I was like running and uh, had one come down. I was living in like in an apartment complex in a town called Millbrook. And we had one come down the side of the apartment complex, but I was on the first floor and it was like an all brick. So, I mean, I guess it's as safe as you can expect in that type (laughs) of situation. (laughs) But yeah. My dad told me some stories. Um, my dad was in the Air Force, so he was telling me some stories about uh, some stuff that happened when he was uh, stationed in Texas. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, Dallas is kind of in that path, too. So, Well, I'm, I'm lucky because we have, like, a, a pretty deep creek on one side. So what happens is, like, if a tornado does come through this area. So I don't live very far from liberal Kansas, you know, from Dorothy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they usually go that way or the 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 creek it's more like a uh, like a river but it does hardly ever anything in there water wise so it just kind of pushes it out away from the town that i stay in so i've been here for two years i i mean there have been tornadoes that come by here but not really here here oh, okay i think y'all have basements out there right like uh well the houses can have them well, my buddy lives around the corner. He's got a storm shelter out there. Okay. Well, yeah, so, out, out here you're pretty much stuck because I think, uh, you know, the ground is like limestone, so it's really expensive if you want to have a basement. So nobody really has it. I haven't really seen too many people with a storm shelter, so. Yeah, his yeah. is kind of kind of like a bomb shelter. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it before. It's like just stairs going down into the ground, and there's a door down there. And then there's like concrete ceiling walls. And if water ever gets in there, you know, it's going to flood in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, I mean, going back to like uh, what you were saying about different people doing different things, I've actually always preferred to do like the physical labor type stuff mm-hmm. because I'm not the type that likes going to hang out at the gym. Mm. I, I like to work and get my exercise. Mm. I kind of feel like so like if I was actually sitting in an office five days a week or eight, eight hours or, or more, I would have to come home and ride like a an exercise bike for like 20 miles or something, you know. Yeah. So Yeah, you kind you kind of, you know, I think most people last in the tech industry about 10 years and they, they, they start getting tired and looking to do something else. So, you know, I'm not necessarily at that point, but it's kind of like, I need something else to take my mind off of tech. Like when I first started, I used to go hard, like work, then come home, watch courses, read books. But now it's kind of like, uh, I guess I'm not coasting, but I'm not like super, super uh, hardcore about it anymore. I've never actually been like a professional. Um, I've done some pretty fun stuff or stuff that I think is pretty fun as like a programmer, but it's always been a hobby. 
if that one job that I had in 2017 didn't fall on my lap, I, I wouldn't have cared. You know, so for me, it's always it's I didn't really want to turn my hobby into a profession because I didn't want to ruin it sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. But like at the same time, I see all these guys out there making this money. But I think like I was saying earlier that I, I would rather. I, I think that I would probably I mean, I think I would be really good at it actually is like DevOps. I mean, because I do I do code. I know a good bit about coding, but I'm like really good with Linux and I like working with Linux and uh, I just need to learn the cloud stuff a little bit better, I think. Yeah, they definitely go for it. Uh, you know, I think I think you'll be able to uh, get a job in it. Well, I've had. Uh, I used to hang out on uh, Discord, and a couple of the guys. The uh, I mean, they're just talking to me about Linux and stuff, and they're just telling me you should just go out and get a DevOps job because you already know. I'm, but I, I think what I probably need is uh, probably a company who's more like on premises, versus like the cloud. Mm. You know, and I don't have really have a problem learning the cloud. I just like, but there's so much out there to learn. What is it that my next potential employer needs me to uh, needs me to understand, right? Because you mm -hmm. go out and you start learning all this other stuff. Well, maybe the next job offer that you're like closest to, minus the cloud stuff, maybe they're doing something else with the cloud, or maybe they're using a different cloud platform. You know, so. But. Yeah. Uh, that's the thing about tech, like you got to kind of make sure you bet on the right technologies or right. kind of screw. To me, that stuff is still, uh, I mean, all of it's really still interesting to me, but I think that stuff actually working with Linux, Docker, Kubernetes, all that sort of, you know, maybe uh, doing Ansible or Puppet, all that stuff is still reasonably uh, interesting to me or more so than maybe just plain old coding. Mm -hmm. You know, so yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, well, I know it's getting a little late, man. I hope we don't hold you too late. <laughs> no, I'm good. It's probably going to be like 3, 3 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> I should probably let you guys go. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll end the show, but uh, we, we could talk after the uh, stream. But uh, I know uh, we usually end at around 1030. All right. Yeah, I'm seeing that like we've been on for like an hour and 38 minutes. To the audience, we'll catch y'all next time. Peace.